Josh just read out uh, uh, verses from uh, Esther. I prepared a message on Ezekiel. Uh, did I get did I get that wrong? No, I'm having you on. I, I'm going to start there though. But before I start there, I know that you've had um, uh, one, two, and three. Yeah, chapters one, two, and three. So we're going to give you a quiz. Yeah, I did this. I did this at Haddon, where I'm a pastor now. I'm in my fifth year of pastoring that church. Now I can't believe it. Time flies by. And uh, each week, uh, as we went through Esther, um, I couldn't believe that we, you guys were doing Esther. And of all things, chapter four, you know, I said, wow, I've done all the preparation for that and I get to do it again so I can correct all the errors from last time, you know. <laughs> so um, I want to give you a quiz. So what was the name of the queen? That, what, what's her name? Vashti. This, they're on the ball, Josh. Hey? Vashti. And what was the name of the bloke she was married to? Oh, I knew you'd say. Uh, did I hear something else? Xerxes. Xerxes yeah, the first. Uh, otherwise known as the Hashuera. Same bloke. Same twit. Not a real smart bloke. A party animal. Vashti, quality person. Refused to, refused to uh, go along with his, with his stupid stunt. <clears throat> now I might slow you down a little bit now because there's another, there's another queen. What was her name? Who was the next queen he married? It's not a trick question. Wow. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Do you know? Ah, Josh. He got me. Did you hear what he said? He said the next queen's name was Hadassah. Correct. <clears throat> you will know her as Esther. And uh, that's the name of the book. It's the name of the, of the person that the book is about. Uh, and Esther, of course, is a Babylonian name. It's, it's, not a, it's not a Hebrew name. Her Hebrew name was Hadassah, daughter of Benjamin. As Jewish as you get. Uh, <clears throat> All right, very good. So now I'm going to I'm going to hang a real hard one on you. There was a fella who advised Xerxes, who is a really is a piece of work. This bloke, um, and uh, he he uh, he advised Xerxes. I uh, look, you know, King, you need to get rid of her. She she disobeyed you. And, and, the, and, the, and that's going to go all over the kingdom and, and, and everybody's wives are going to disobey them it's going to be terrible you need to get rid of her take a stand for manhood what was his name? Oh, you're very good <laughs> that's great I'm really um, stonking I didn't think anybody was going to get that <laughs> Memucan oh what a weak fellow he is and then, then we meet another fella who's quality all the way. He's Jewish. Mordecai. 
Mordecai. Wonderful. Okay, we've got the characters in place. Mordecai. There's one other guy there who's the, who's the most nefarious of, of everybody in this book. He's the worst. What's his name? Haman. Okay, Haman. He's a bad egg. He's a smart guy, but he's a bad egg. Sometimes, you know, knowledge and cleverness doesn't go with wisdom, does it? In fact, there really isn't much relationship between those things. Wisdom's a godly thing. Okay, well, that's great, guys. So we're going to start today in Ezekiel, (laughs) Ezekiel chapter 22. So if you'd like to take God's love letter and turn to Ezekiel 22, and I want to read out the 30th verse of Ezekiel 22, and then... We're going to turn over to Esther. I see Josh turned white uh, when I suggested you open up to uh, Ezekiel. Prophet Ezekiel. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Ezekiel functioned in a dreadful time he was the prophet to Israel as they went into captivity as they disobeyed and disobeyed and disobeyed until God um, allowed them to go into into the captivity of Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian Judah Ezekiel uh, went into captivity with them the prophet Jeremiah stayed in the land. And, and, uh, if you read Psalm 137, you will hear the, the, you'll hear the piteous heart cry of the nation of Israel. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Well, I'll tell you something today, people. Sin is a foreign land for God's people. It's a foreign land for God's people. And um, I want to say this to you as we go to uh, Esther uh, now. The key word, the key word for today from this passage, I I, I could take this passage and relate for you the, um, uh, the facts that are in evidence and we could say, wow, isn't that a great story? Pat one another on the back, have a nice cup of tea, and whatever the ladies have made for for for, for uh, nothing. Did someone say nothing? I came on the wrong day, Josh. <laughs> oh, the men are on today. Oh, the men are on today, are they? Oh, no, not interested. I don't think. <laughs> you guys have a cup of tea and go home. Um, and you know that would be that would be disastrous because it would be as straight as the gun barrel theologically and as cold as one spiritually. But friends, that's not what we're going to do. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the, at the story, we're going to look at the, at the facts that are in evidence and we're going to apply that to our hearts today. Because if ever there was a day that the church of Jesus Christ needs to come back to the place of unbridled, obedience to the word of God, this is the day. I'm hearing stuff, you know, we're in Ballarat um, and I'm hearing stuff from even around the churches and amongst Christians that will make your hair curl. 
I mean, I haven't got any to cool, but um, you know, it'll uh, it'll make your blood run cold. And people wanting to to run fast and loose with the word of God. It's not ours to run fast and loose with; it's ours to obey. And obedience is going to be the key word today, as we as we make a very clear application of the word of God um, to your hearts today in uh, Montmorency. So let's uh, look at uh, the um, chapter 13, uh, I beg your pardon, chapter uh, 3 and uh, verse 13. You know from last week you'll have um, picked up the fact that <clears throat> letters, uh, more, uh, um, Haman has deceived the king and he wants to, he wants to conduct a genocide against the Jews because he hates Mordecai so much. Now I need to tell you something about this guy Haman. If you read the scripture very carefully, it says that Haman is an Agagite. Yeah? That's what it says. He's an Agagite. And, and that is, that is a very significant matter because Agag, the history of Agag, um, he was the Amalekite king who Samuel said to, uh, said to Saul, uh, another failure, and said to Saul, go out and wipe them out. Go out and completely eliminate them because they're the enemy of the people of God. And he went out, and he, uh, uh, Saul, and he made a, a great victory over the Amalekites, but all of a sudden he turns up and Samuel goes out to meet him. You know what Samuel's words were? What's this bleating of the sheep that I hear, Saul? Oh, well, look, we looked over their flocks and we kept the best. To make a sacrifice to God, of course. Samuel said, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. I didn't tell you to bring them back to sacrifice. I told you to wipe them out and you were disobedient. And who's this? This is Agag, the king. Okay. Give me your sword. Bring him here. And uh, Agag said, I have a sense that the pain of death has passed. (laughs) He got that right. And uh, the Bible says that Samuel hewed him to pieces, killed him. Haman was in the line of the Agagites and he hated Jews. But he particularly hated, he particularly hated Mordecai because Mordecai being a Jew was unwilling to bow down before anybody especially him and he wouldn't bow down he said I have got to do something about that Jew but, but his, 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 his hatred was so intense that it wasn't enough to just knock out Mordecai if he had done that he might have got away with it but no he wants to conduct a structured deliberate intentional campaign of genocide against the entire Jewish population and letters were sent out indicating the intention to all 127 provinces of the kingdom. And that spread across a really large geographical area. Um, and here in, in chapter 3, 
it says, and the letters were sent by post into, uh, into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish uh, all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in a single day, one day upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. A copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. The posts went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace. And look at this statement. And the king and Haman sat down to drink. They're derelicts, aren't they? They sat down to drink. Um, but the city of Sushan was perplexed. The word perplexed here in the King James Version, if you look at the Hebrew word that translates into that, it means uh, uh, in a confused uproar is what that really relates to. And then we get to chapter 4. In chapter 4 it says, And, and when, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry and came even before the king's gate for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. The Jewish practice of of putting on sackcloth and throwing ashes into the air and smearing yourself with with ashes from an old fire is, is about mourning it's not like mourning for somebody who's died. They would certainly do that if somebody had died. They would, they would carry on like that. But that wasn't the only reason. And in this instance here, this is as much about confession of sin and, and, and wanting to, wanting to, to uh, agree with God, if you will, um, <clears throat> what he has said about their behaviour. And Mordecai takes his burlap uh, this loose fitting clothing and he goes all the way to the king's gate you couldn't go be, uh, I beg your pardon the palace gate you couldn't go past the palace gate dressed like that and he sat in the palace gate and he threw dust in the air and the bible says that he wailed and he mourned for the people of God oh that we would have such an attitude towards sin today amen sin is the curse of the nation it's the curse of our nation and it's the curse of every Christian, every believer who ventures and allows themselves to venture into sinful practice. It takes away, it steals from them the joy of the Lord in their heart and it causes the Holy Spirit who dwells within to be grieved with that person. And, you know, I've tried to explain this to our people at Haddon You don't lose your salvation because of sin, because Jesus nailed it to his cross. It's over. It's done. It's finished. And what you lose is you lose your fellowship with the Holy, the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that, that becomes disrupted. And that's a terrible place to live. There's no joy there. There's only hardship there. There's only dryness there. And the only way that you can get back to that is through confession. And and, so, and agreeing with God, this was wrong. I've done wrong here. 
I am to blame. And I want to get back in fellowship with God. It's the same thing in marriage, in every one of your marriages, same thing in my marriage. <clears throat> you see, I've got a ring on my finger. It's been there for a long time. If you ask Robin, she could tell you how long. I, I know it's over 40 years. How much over 40 years, I'm not quite sure, but, uh, it's over 40. For, there you are, 47, she knows straight away. Um, I was once preaching in Ballarat to about three or four hundred people and I mentioned that we had 12 grandchildren and she said, and Robin, <coughs> you had this sinking feeling, you know, in front of all those people. She said, uh, that would be 11. Those people enjoyed that a fair bit. And, uh, I said, oh, okay, there's 11. I don't, you know, when it gets to that many, it doesn't really matter. It's just, they're everywhere. And, uh, I said, and I don't know their middle names, nor do I know their addresses, and I certainly don't know their dates of birth. Are you happy now? And, <laughs> yeah, they ought to want a good laugh at, uh, my expense. <laughs> well, here we see, here we see, um, uh, uh, Mordecai, and he's grieved before, he's grieved before Yahweh. And just as you can lose fellowship in your marriage, you don't lose your marriage. I'm still married. We have times where the fellowship is broken. You know, Robin steps out of line occasionally and, you know, we've got to sort of, you know, fellas, you know, no, you don't do you? No. Joy's looking at me, I'm going to cop a bit of a dose for that later. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting the finger here. <laughs> but you know what? An apology a confession brings back that fellowship and the sweetness and the peace and the calm returns. That's how it is with the Holy Spirit who dwells within. It comes about, friends, from our obedience to God. Okay? And this fellow here, he sees this happening and, and he just goes into a meltdown. And word comes to Esther. Esther is his cousin. He's older, she's younger, her parents were killed. You know the story, he brought her up, right? You've been taught that already. And, um, and, and Mordecai is a godly man. And he's brought her up to be a godly woman. And he said to her, when she went into the palace and was married to this wretch don't tell them what your heritage is do not tell them what your heritage is so what do you think she did she obeyed and because she obeyed the stage was set for Yahweh to use her in the most amazing and stunning way um, to save not herself, not just Mordecai and her family, but to save the entire Jewish population from being wiped out. Obedience is everything to God. Obedience. <clears throat> Esther heard about it and she said, what's, what's this all about? 
She didn't know about this decree. You know why she didn't know? Because she lived in a bubble. She lived in a bubble in the palace, disconnected from the riffraff. She didn't know anything about it. And she said to her maid, go down to the gate, take these clothes down to the gate and give them to Mordecai and say, enough already, what's this about? Mordecai said to her, I want the clothes. I mean, I'm in mourning. I don't want the clothes. But I want you to take this. I want you to take this back to... I want you to take this back to Esther. So she can read this and know what is, what is declared against the Jewish people. She sent her, her man in waiting, a man named Hatak. He went down to see Mordecai. And Mordecai, now this is where I, it gets a little sticky, so just stay right with me here. The average evangelical Christian, when you mention Esther, they can relate usually one verse. And it's here in chapter 4. And it says, if I perish, I, if I perish, I perish. This strong, principled woman of godly character, she wasn't about to be, to be put off. I'll be very careful. Read the scripture carefully and with discernment. Because you know what happened here in fact? Mordecai sent back a message through Hatak and he said to Esther, you need to go in and take this thing and go in and show it to Xerxes and tell him what's going on to save your people. And what was her response that she sent back? It wasn't to kick that over. What was her response that she sent back? to her cousin yes sir I'm a strong principled godly woman of high character I'll go right in there and tell Xerxes and we'll get this thing sorted out is that what she said? no she said it can't be done it can't be done because if you in the law of the Medes and the Persians if you go in to the king without being called the, the penalty is death unless he holds out the golden scepter to you. A picture that you'll see next week of the grace of God as he holds out the scepter to you and then you touch the end of the scepter and, and you will be heard and you won't be killed. It can't be done. And she sent the message back to Mordecai and said, it can't be done. That was the first reaction of this girl. It wasn't obedience at all. It wasn't courage and bravery at all. It was a panic-stricken, anxiety-driven no. And she said to Haytack, you go back to the gate and explain that to Mordecai. 
Well, you don't explain things to Mordecai. He's not that kind of guy. And here it is in the scripture. Show it, show it to you for yourself. So you know I'm, not tell, I'm telling the truth. <clears throat> so Hatak went forth to Mordecai, verse 6. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai under the street of the city, which was before the king's gate, and Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries uh, for the Jews to destroy them. He also gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it under Esther and to declare under her, to charge her. You see that word there? That's a really strong word in Hebrew. That Hebrew word for charge is, is it's, it's, it's a command that you must obey. It's a very strong word. <clears throat> it says to charge her that she should go in under the king to make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai and again Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him commandment under Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come under the king and under the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his is to put him to death. Except, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in under the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai Esther's words. She basically said, I haven't been called to go in for 30 days. If I barge in there, would you be afraid? I mean, yes. Don't sit there with a pious look on your face. Of course you would be so, uh, afraid. I'd be deathly afraid. I'd want to crawl in on my belly or something so he couldn't see who it was. Uh, <coughs> and she sends back to Mordecai. It can't be done. Look at Mordecai's response. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. In verse 13, then Mordecai commanded, there's that word again, he commanded to answer Esther, Think not with yourself that you will escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if you altogether hold your peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Do you know why he would say a thing like that? He says, the ideal situation is you're married to this, to this twerp. You, you, you live in the man's house. It, the obvious thing is for you to go in and tell him what's going on. But if you choose not to, if you choose not to, deliverance will come to the Jews from another source and you'll miss the blessing. Deliverance will come to the Jews. Do you know why he would say a thing like that? Because he was a man of faith and character. And he knows from of old that deliverance will come to the Jews because the Jews are the apple of God's eye and through the Jews will come Adonai HaMashiach, God the Messiah, had to come through that line. And he believed that. And people tell me today, well, you've been waiting 2,000 years for Christ to come. I reckon he's forgotten you. 
every Sunday, just like you, every Sunday in our church. We serve this to our people. And every Sunday I remind them, as Josh did today, this looks back on what Christ did for you. And he said, do this until I come. And then we will drink it new with him in his father's kingdom. How good is that going to be? Wow. I don't reckon there'll be a little scungy cup like that either. I think there's going to be something really substantial to to drink from. Amen. Well, let's look at this now. He now appeals to her character. If you don't do this thing, deliverance will arise to the Jews from elsewhere. Now I see this beautiful response. I see now a girl who's been brought up from a little girl, brought up to to understand the, the, the nature and the character of Yahweh. And you know, as I was preparing this for the sermon I, I preached to our people, uh, I remember <coughs> I remember going um, to uh, Northern Thailand and um, I had my, my eldest daughter with me. She spent some time in the wilderness and she was making her way back to God and she came on this trip with me and we went to this little tiny village way up in the mountains and uh, there was a, a, a pastor there who was an indigenous man. He was a wonderful man. We actually had a dance together. That was cool. And um, he spoke enough English to understand. So we started with a little little boxing match and we ended up having a dance together. It was great. And uh, and he brought this lady and she was just a young girl with a with a four year old child whose legs were just doing this. Jelly. No power, nothing there. And uh, he brought her along and I know, because I'm a neuroscientist, I know that neuroscience doesn't have an answer for that. And and I saw her coming and my heart sank a little bit and I felt so much these people you've got to be in that northern Thailand you've got to be able to walk to live. And I said to the pastor, is this girl a Christian? And she understood the word Christian. She Good. I said, would you like me to pray for your boy? And she said, yes, she would. So Karen Smith, who some of you know, Karen was there. And uh, Karen came and the pastor came and I put my, da- my daughter to come. And we laid hands on this child and we cried out to God. said, Lord... There's nothing we can do. Please have compassion on this child and give him the ability to use his legs. I don't know what was going through my daughter's mind at all, but I I picked the little bloke up. I handed the little man back to his his mum and he wrapped his legs around her and hung on God healed him right on the spot. My daughter literally jumped backwards and covered her face with her hands like that and started to cry. 
I said, it's all right. <laughs> it's just God doing his thing. And she said, when we were kids growing up, from there, ever since I can remember, you taught us all these stories about Jesus. One after the other, over and over and over. And she said, but never in, in eternity did I think that I would see with my eyes the divine intervention of God expressing his compassion on behalf of that one child in northern Thailand. And that little bloke, away he went with the full use of his legs. <clears throat> you see, friends, we have a God who isn't constrained by anything. By anything at all. You know, Jesus never... There's no record of Jesus ever actually preaching a funeral. You know why? Because the dead can't stay dead around him. Everywhere there was someone dead that he went, they got up. He disrupted it. He disrupted every funeral he ever went near. He walks to the tomb of Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, out you come. And out he came. And sent a few shockwaves through the religious elite who had no belief in God at all. They were, they were politicians. Out he came, bound hand and foot, the Bible says. That ruffled the feathers a little. The natural order was ruffled up a little bit. And you know the Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. My God is immutable. My God simply doesn't change. And we called upon the compassion of God and it was within the purpose of his will and that little boy, that little boy was healed. <clears throat> Not because of us, but because of who God is. And what a, what a joy that was to be there that day and to see that. Now, now we see Esther taught all these things from a child, taught about the crossing of the Red Sea, taught about the crossing of Jordan, taught about the great victory uh, at, um, at Jericho, and on and on and on. And it's built into her character to know who God is and to know the character of, 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 of um, <clears throat> know the character of, uh, of Yahweh. And here... She says now, and Esther said to them, to return this answer to Mordecai. Return this answer to Mordecai. Go and gather all the Jews that are present in Sushan and fast. You see, she's got it right. She knows her history. Joshua took the children of Israel across the Jordan but he didn't just charge across on a, on a, on a, on a, on a quickly assembled pontoon no he was out seeking the mind of God and he comes across this person standing here and he recognises straight away the warrior like nature of this person and this person says to Joshua the leader of God's people take off your shoes the, the ground whereon you stand is holy ground 
Take your shoes off, man. It was just Middle Eastern dust. But because Adonai stood there, because the incarnation of, the pre-incarnation of the Christ stood there, it made that ground holy. He said, take off your shoes. And Joshua, <laughs> Joshua says, whose side are you on? <laughs> he had to say something, so he said something dumb. <clears throat> and Adonai said to him, I'm not anybody's side. I'm the captain of the Lord's host. Now you tell those priests. And Joshua did. And down they went to the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Now listen carefully. They just stood there and waited for that river to go so they could walk through. Is that what the Bible says? Don't be misled by a false prophet here. Is that what the Bible said? It doesn't say that, friends. What it says is, he said, put your foot in Jordan. And when you put your foot in the Jordan, when you take that first step, but you must take the first step. You must come to me and then I will act. You must be obedient and you must come in faith and then I will act. That's the modus operandi of the God we serve. (coughs) Through they went and they did something which to all intents and purposes looks insane. They walked around Jericho and again and again and again and again. On day seven, they walked around seven times and then they called in the helicopters with the, you know, the big and the MIGs and all the rest of it and the big gun. No, they didn't do anything like that. What did they do? They shouted. And I got an, I, I don't think they were shouting, go pies. I'm pretty sure they weren't shouting that. You know? <laughs> no. They shouted glory to God. They shouted praise to to Jehovah and bang, down went the walls and this tremendous victory was won. And a person was saved out of that rubble and that person, that person was a Gentile prostitute who, when you read your Bible, figures in the bloodline of Jesus the Messiah. How amazing is that? That, Just let that grab your heart for a minute. That is incredible. The only person to be saved out of that is the lowest of the low. And she becomes a part of the bloodline of none other than the Messiah. Amazing stuff. (sighs) I'm getting out of breath here. I'm just loving that. So they knocked that down. They took all that stuff. And then they said, well, the next, the next little project here is a little place called AI. Knocking down Jericho is like taking over Ballarat. Knocking down AI is like taking down Learmonth or some little, little village outside of Ballarat. Ah, it's alright, we don't need to trouble the troops too much. Just send a mob of blokes up there, take them out. And they got their backsides kicked. And you know why they got their backsides kicked? Because they went in their own strength. They went in the strength of the flesh instead of going to where their strength really lay, 
in Jehovah God. But instead of doing that, they went off in their own strength and they copped a hiding. And what did Joshua do? They repented. They confessed. And they went back to God. And what, and Esther would have known that. Esther would have been taught that. And she says, well, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go into the king. And she sends a message back to Mordecai. And she says to Mordecai, gather all the Jews in Shushan and fast. And fasting implied prayer. It was concentrated, focused prayer. Fast and pray for how many days? Three days. It wasn't two and it wasn't four. That was three. And three in the Hebrew is a really important number. You know why it's such an important number? Because that's the number of God's completion. Father, Son and Holy Spirit is three. There's lots of threes in the Bible and they always relate to the, to the notion of completion. And he said, fast with me for three days. How many days was Jesus in the, in the, in, in the grave for? Three days. Jonah in the belly, in the, in the fish of the, in the belly of the fish, not the fish of the belly. Jonah in the belly of the fish. Three days. That's a, that's a, that's the, the number of, of, of God, God's number of completion. <clears throat> and three days they fasted and prayed and he says and on the back of that fasting and prayer I'm going to go into the king I like that on the back of that fasting and prayer I'm going to go back I'm going to go in to the king and take this petition and if I perish I perish She's not going in now. She's not going in, friends, as Esther the Queen. She's going in as Hadassah, daughter of Benjamin, a faithful Jew. And she's going in to declare herself to the king. And if I perish... I perish. It's not a statement of, well, whatever. It's a statement of faith. If I perish, God will have to raise up deliverance for the Jew from elsewhere. If I perish, I'm safe in the arms of my God. I'm safe in the arms of Yahweh. Either way, I'm a winner. Either way, when you are safe in the arms of Christ, you're a winner. Now, as we wrap it up today here, guys, that's the facts. That's the facts. That's the facts that are in evidence and have been in evidence uh, for thousands of years. But the application is very simple. You see, God's made it very plain to us that to live a a life of victory, to live a life 
of walking with Christ, you first need to take a step towards him. And he made that very plain in the New Testament. Here's the statement. Draw near to God and he will push you away. Does your Bible say that? That's false false doctrine. Draw near to God and then he'll draw near to you. Does that make sense? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Esther said, fast and pray for three days and then, and only then, will I go in before the king. And God honoured that because that's God's way. And today in Montmorency, in Haddon, wherever you are, Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Now if I left that there, I would be doing you a disservice. Because a lot of preachers will get up and tell you to do something, they'll tell you how to do it. Right? I'm going to tell you, how do you draw near to God? In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. That's John 1 1. John 1 14 says, And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And now John makes it absolutely plain who he was talking about in verse 1. This is our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who above all else wants to fellowship with you. He wants to draw, he wants you to draw near to him. Say, brother Neil, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been a Christian for 50 years. I don't care. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years or 500. The, the, the rules still apply to you. If you want to have fellowship with God, it's not automatic. You need to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And there's two fundamental elements about drawing near to God. The first one of those elements is to immerse yourself in the word because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you want to meet with Christ, then you meet with him in the word and when you go to the word, the most natural thing for a Christian to do is to pray. I actually had last year, I'm glad the year's over, last year I actually had an individual say, I can't see the purpose of prayer. That's a sad statement, man. I can't see the purpose of prayer because God's going to do what God's going to do and you can't change it. You know what prayer does, friends? It was so, what a joy to sit over there this morning (coughs) and hear people standing and praying and, and, and taking us into the presence of God. When you pray, you draw near to God. When you pray, you are obeying God. And here's a simple way about prayer. Don't charge into the presence of God and say, Oi, Lord, you've got no idea what a day I'm having. I need your help. Sit quietly in the presence of God. Open the scripture and worship him. Amen. Amen. Tell him how wonderful he is. He's a wonderful counsellor. He's a mighty God. 
He's the Prince of Peace. And he wants to go into bat for you. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Enter into that, into that quiet place. In our house, Robert and I have got prayer chairs. We go and we sit in those chairs and the purpose of sitting in those chairs is to take the word of God and to immerse ourselves in the word and begin to pray and talk to God and he talks back to me. You know, the the problem with prayer is some people in the church think that prayer is you talking to God. Prayer is not a monologue, friends, it's a dialogue. It's you talking to God and him talking to you and he will speak to you from the word of God. And you will read scripture. And it doesn't matter how familiar you are with the scripture. There has never been a man born who can plumb one verse of scripture. Not one. Such is the depth of this. I preached a whole series on Colossians last year, an exegesis of Colossians, and I literally felt like I was reading this book for the first time. It's stuff was coming out and coming out. Oh, how am I supposed to preach this to God's people? It's, it's rich, it's deep, it's heavy. And we had nine weeks in Colossians. I think by the time it was over, everybody heaved a sigh of relief. Let's go to Esther, where it's lighter. <laughs> joke, joke. <laughs> yeah, amazing, isn't it? Well, friends, the challenge to you, any sermon that comes to you that doesn't bring you a challenge would have been better not to have been preached. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you strongly in a very confronting way. Set Operation Esther in place in this church that I love. Set it in place. Find a, make a, make a commitment to God to immerse yourself in the Word of God and to pray and to ask Him to speak to you ask him to bring across your path somebody who presently is on the path to destruction and be bold to speak for Jesus Amen if you would do that if you would ask God to bring those people here and if you're dumb enough to ask me to come back and preach this time next year most of these seats will be filled You know that? Because it's all about reproduction. Friends, be obedient. Amen? Be obedient. You know what I'd like you to do for me? Not for me. I want you to do this for Yeshua. I want you to bow your head and just close your eyes for a moment. Think about Esther. Think about the obedience and ask yourself the question does my life reflect the life of Esther does my life reflect if I perish I perish if it doesn't I'd like to pray for you You, only you know your own heart Nobody but you knows your own heart. Are you facing an impossibility at the moment? Are you facing something that's like not even of your own making? But there you are.
and it's just seems like it's all over you and you're feeling a sense of anxiety and you need that peace of God that passes understanding and you get it you get it friends by drawing near to God and as you quietly draw near to God and sit in his presence and read his word he will speak to your heart Amen I'm not going to ask you to come forward or raise your hand or any such thing. I'm just going to pray for you right now. And uh, I want God to meet you in the quietness of this moment, in your own heart, and do the work that needs to be done. Our gracious, wonderful Father, Father, we love you. We just adore you. Lord, that that we would have the privilege to be called a Christ one. It's just phenomenal. Lord, if there are folks here today who have never come to that place in their life where uh, where they have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, Father, make this the day. Give them the boldness, Father, to to come up and say, "I, I need this faith that you're talking about. I need to be like Esther. I don't have a relationship with Christ. This is really a great way to start the year. And Lord, for your people here today who are under stress and experiencing anxiety, Father, Father, from your great Father's heart, reach out, touch those people, And Father, encourage them. Give them courage. Give them boldness. Father, let them experience your grace today in a wonderful way. And remind them, Father, that your arm is not shortened, that you cannot help. If you can heal a little boy who's 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 paralysed in a mountain village in northern Thailand as a response to faith, Lord, you can solve any problem that anybody here has got in response to faith. So, Father, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do, that only you are capable of doing. I pray you would encourage your people, that you would enrich their faith, and, Father, that you would send them home today with that lightness and, Father, with that joy that not even Satan can steal from them. I ask you, Father, in Jesus' precious name, Lord. Amen.